portal. I am the portal, crashing your server, transporting you from what was to what will be. Come with me to the source file of your wildest dreams. I am you to the power of multiplicities. Detach from your body, let virtuality form you as divine technologists illuminate and guide you. Welcome to the new season of But Is It Art, a podcast by Next Museum in Amsterdam, the home of new media art at the intersection of art, science, sound and tech. In this second season, we're doing things a little differently. We're exploring the artworks of the exhibition Unidentified Fluid Other in a more fluid way. In six episodes, we'll talk about common themes in this exhibition curated by Bogomir Doringer, but also about themes in contemporary art and new media art in general. You'll hear the artists featured in the exhibition, curators, visitors and more. My name is Victor van der Velde. I was a part of Next from the start and I will be your guide through this podcast. In this first episode, we'll talk about the Web3 canvas. And if you don't know what Web3 is, don't worry. We'll dive into all of the terminology later in this episode. I'm in the museum. It's very different now from last time you've heard me talk about it. Some of the rooms have changed slightly, but the biggest difference is in the artworks. Next Museum has a new exhibition. I walk in and a semi-human pink avatar looks me in the eyes. This is Beatrix's Odyssey by Harriet Davy, a series of videos featuring the androgynous avatar Beatrix, accompanied by creative writing by Julia Beth Harris. You heard the first Beatrix poem at the beginning of this episode. For me, UFO, on the one hand, when you look at the artists that are presenting work in UFO, it's very much for us about showing the artists that are making work today using technologies of today to tell their story. This is Merel van Helsingen, managing director and founder of Next Museum, talking about the exhibition Unidentified Fluid Author, or UFO for short. And those stories vary from stories of identity, um, of trauma, of religion. It's um, stories of their own history and, um, yeah, really telling their their own artistic story using either video game technology, 3D design, designing their own avatars, really using the virtual worlds and virtual tools and technical tools that we have at hand and that they grew up with to tell their story. And I think that's that's really, for me, the most interesting part about this exhibition. And as someone said it really nicely is, you don't necessarily have to love the art or think it's beautiful, but what you need to understand is that this is the way the makers of today are telling their story and expressing themselves. UFO showcases art using cutting-edge, innovative software and technology. And it often combines multiple art forms. If you've listened to the last season, you could be thinking, hey, that's not so different from last exhibition. And you're not completely wrong. But still, both exhibitions are vastly different. So in the last exhibition, Shifting Proximities, there was a big scientific layer 
and the theme as well as the artworks themselves were very rooted in humanity, let's say, and the earth that we walk on and the science that we've discovered. Whereas I think this exhibition is totally um, stepping out of the real world. We are not grounded on the planet Earth anymore, but we're actually reflecting on something so much bigger. We're stepping out of, of, of the day-to-day. -day. We're stepping out of humanity, and we are reflecting on the individual and virtual worlds individuals create to find their true selves. But when it's all about the inner world and the virtual world, why is the term fluid so important? So for me, it's the fluidity between the real world with air quotes and the virtual world, because they are coming closer together and they are morphing into each other more than ever. Um, with the use of technology, with the use of our mobile phones, with the dependency of actually having a mo smartphone with QR codes, etc., when you travel. But it's also the fluidity when it comes to gender, for example. And as you see more and more, the traditional binary divide, uh, the traditional stereotypes are disappearing. Visually also, the fluidity of movement, sound and space, it's very colorful, it's very surrealist. So it's also literally some of the artworks are fluid in their shape and in their form and in the way they move and, and flow from one to the other. So it's many aspects of the exhibition are relevant to the term fluidity. The fluidity between digital and physical is something I found apparent in all artworks. Different from last time, I will not feature one artist in one episode. No, I wanted to make it more fluid and discuss elements that multiple artists incorporated in their work. And one of those elements is not necessarily a topic, but more of a realm. This is Merel again. And one of the biggest things that happened during the pandemic was that also digital artworks started to um, shift. And instead of just experiencing them, um, you could actually sell them yourself online using NFT technology. And that just sparked interest for makers to use these technologies. So what we saw was an absolute explosion of the amount of artwork being developed during pandemic times. I think Web3 also created virtual spaces for art um, to exist and for people to explore and experience for free whilst being at home, for example. So where previously you have to go to an exhibition or you have to go to a museum or institution to, to experience and see and feel the work, but um, because of Web3 technology and, for example, these various metaverses, a lot of exhibitions started appearing online. So you could just wear your VR headset or walk with your avatar through crypto voxels or Decentraland or any other metaverse. And you could really like experience the art, see the artwork, interact with the artwork. And a lot of artwork started living in this virtual space where everyone has access and anyone can also create and add. NFTs, Web3, metaverses, you might have heard of all these before, but maybe we should all start off on the same page. I also knew just the basics, so I took a crash course with Jesse Damiani. He was a co-curator of the last exhibition, Shifting Proximities, and he works at Next Museum now as a director of simulation literacies. 
And as a simulation illiterate person, he was the right person to ask all my questions regarding Web3. First of all, Jesse, what is Web3? So yeah, Web3 implies that there's a Web2 and a Web1. And I think it helps to look at this uh, historically because oftentimes with tech buzzwords, you're really looking at a social dynamic more than you know, an individual technology or practice. So Web1 obviously didn't refer to itself as Web1 because it was just the web. The rise of Web2 was this new social moment that was springing up around um, e-commerce and social media, essentially. Um, we were moving from this uh, version of the internet where most people weren't really participants, they were consumers. So Web2 was a moment where people who didn't have as much technical fluency could become participants. So we see this in the rise of Facebook, for instance, where you don't have to run your own server to have a profile on Facebook and to be able to upload photos and, and everything like that. But what that did was it centralized a lot of the data and a lot of the, uh, the, the sort of rules of the game with a few select players. What Web3 is putting forward, and again, I think that this is... Um, more of a social dynamic currently than it is something that's really playing out in practice is returning that power and sovereignty back to individuals on the web. So I guess Web3 is all about decentralization and taking the control back. That makes me think of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum immediately. They all live on the blockchain, right? So how does that work? Blockchain is a distributed ledger. So think in a very sort of um, ancient sense of what a ledger is, uh, you know, a place where you're um, inputting entries. Uh, what's different about blockchain is that it's creating a, a decentralized means uh, and an automated means of coming to consensus or agreement about what's happening on that ledger. So instead of one person going onto the ledger and changing the ledger, a blockchain is is creating a context where many different parties have to all agree about what goes on that ledger. So in the case of cryptocurrency, that's essentially just the money on that ledger. Where that got even more interesting, particularly as it relates to folks in art, with the launch of Ethereum, you had a programmable blockchain, which is where you could create new different types of tokens and apps or decentralized apps. And this is where it becomes interesting for the artist, because an example of these new types of tokens are NFTs. What are NFTs and what does NFT actually stand for? So a non-fungible token, non-fungible essentially just means unique and not subdividable. And so the example that I often use is buying a loaf of bread is essentially buying a non-fungible unit of bread. If you could subdivide that bread up into slices and buy individual slices, it would be a fungible loaf of bread. So what you're doing when you make an NFT, for instance, is you're making a token that is usable on the same blockchain as the fungible money on that blockchain. But you can also make these non-fungible tokens, which can't be subdivided. And so with that token, what you can do is essentially um, attach it to a piece of art, a digital collectible, any type of sort of digital asset, and include a number of different pieces of metadata to specify you know, all the aspects that make this particular thing unique. It's unique but it's also highly traceable. How does that work? What's cool about blockchains is you have this um, massive global timestamping structure. And so with an NFT, when you mint a work as an NFT, you have the exact moment it was minted. And moreover, you can actually trace the ownership of a given work across the various collectors. But so what it means is where you might be able to trace 
the lineage or the sort of ownership record of uh, an iconic painting, there are many instances where, I mean, you, you see about these on the news all the time where, you know, one piece is discovered in somebody's attic and, you know, brought to auction and things like that. And there's no way of knowing necessarily, there might be gaps in understanding who owned this. And so with something like a blockchain, you essentially cut that problem out. Okay. And what about the metaverse? How do these NFTs fit into the idea of a metaverse? I think the metaverse is a term that describes our trajectory as an increasingly digital species. And so, yeah, you have the fully realized version of the metaverse, which is a fully virtual world that leans into all the affordances of a fully virtual universe, I should say, fully virtual universe. Um, but I think you have many steps uh, in in getting there that are also reflective of this metaverse shift that are not necessarily the metaverse. NFTs to me are like one of those steps. And I think that there are other thresholds. I mean, I think the um, mass acceptance of video calls, you know, that, that took place with the pandemic is another, another type of thing that's like heading us in this metaversal direction. I bring all that up to say, I think that where the metaverse is important for artists is that the metaverse is essentially reflecting all of the um, era-defining technologies of our time and the social outputs and practices that emerge from that. And so if you kind of zoom out and like leave the buzz and the sort of chaos of the, of the sort of metaverse conversation aside, virtuality, automation, machine intelligence, all of these different pieces are informing everyone's lives. That being the case, there are many roles that an artist can play, but one is to kind of be a lamp in the fog, to kind of show us where the different aspects of, of culture, development, progress are taking us or what new ideas are emerging from that and being critically engaged in those ideas and, and maybe even revealing the ways in which those tools or ideas or narratives, narratives are failing us. So I think there is this interrelationship uh, between NFTs, the metaverse, and how artists participate. But I think it's it's an emergent one rather than a well-defined one. A quick recap. Web3 is a new social movement in which people are reclaiming control and the internet becomes decentralized. An example of that is the blockchain, where cryptocurrencies as well as NFTs provide a new way for decentralized transactions, which makes the existence of digital art way more controllable and traceable. And the metaverse, just like Web3, is a shift towards a world in which our lives become a hybrid between digital and physical. And NFTs are part of this shift. But let's get back to the museum. In UFO, this digital realm is well represented Yes, it's still a physical space, but many of the artists exhibited, experiment with, or they work just with NFTs, the blockchain, and in metaverses. A good example is the artwork Whole Land by The Fabricant. Yeah, so The, the Fabricant is a Dutch uh, digital fashion house where we commissioned an artwork by them. Uh, they started creating digital fashion because they, they don't believe in physical fashion, but they want to... Um, yeah, really dress the generation of tomorrow in the virtual world. 
and they really try to break the boundaries of identity as well. So in the virtual world, you can wear whatever you want. And they also built their company purely digitally. They developed um, incredible fashion for, for avatars and yeah, digital identities, let's say. They also did a lot of NFT drops. They sold some of their garments online. And what you can now do in the museum is look at their beautiful digital fashion pieces, but also try them on yourself. So we have several filters that you can actually stand in front of a screen and swirl around and, and wear some of the dresses and the jackets and the headpieces uh, that they developed for your avatar. So you're really becoming a unidentified fluid other um, wearing various really funky digital fashion pieces. I spoke with one of the founders of The Fabricant, Amber J. Sloten. And while we were Zooming, I was immediately introduced into the world of digital fashion because Amber was wearing digital earrings from their jewelry collection. So digital fashion is basically a way of dressing yourself in the virtual world. This could be from dressing your pictures on Instagram, so taking a photograph, sending that somewhere that it gets dressed with 3D models and you can then uh, put that on your Instagram as a, as a picture that you're wearing something. Or it could be an AR, which is of course what's in the exhibition for Next Museum, uh, which is a very big installation where you can wear the garments and actually try them on. And then um, the, the, the other version is where you actually have a virtual character who wears the garments in a virtual space, which is basically how I think a lot of things will evolve. Uh, so the AR part will be one part and the virtual world where you wear your items will be the, the other part. So there'll be a digital space where you'll move and behave and where you'll operate. And then there will be like a video or a photo content of you wearing the clothing on your physical body in reality. Just to clarify, Amber and the fabricants only make fashion that exists digitally. Though you could put it on your body in a photo or through AR, which is augmented reality, where digital elements are projected on the physical world, none of it will ever exist in the physical world as a garment. And where I see the future move is that we will have lenses or glasses with which we're looking at each other and then, you know, I will see um, you wearing a garment, for instance, and this garment you can change every second with however you feel like you want to change that. So whenever you feel bored, you just download a new look, you know, and you dress yourself. And I think that is the future of what fashion should be instead of it, um, yeah, instead of it being this uh, endless um, process of creating new garments, which takes up a lot of resources. You could see Amber as a trendsetter, but for her, digital fashion is not a novelty anymore. In fact, to her, it was more than normal to start developing digital fashion. Yeah, so I studied uh, traditional fashion design. So I studied fashion design um, on Amsterdam Fashion Institute, very traditional learned how to sew, how to create the patterns for the clothing, learned how to create everything from scratch. But I very soon realized how wasteful this whole process was and how um, backwards everything was. While most of our lives were playing out online, everybody was still making these physical garments. And I felt like um, there was so much tech to experiment with and to create new identities with and growing up as a kid I used to game a lot so for me uh, these virtual worlds were very natural and I didn't understand why 
fashion was more virtual. Amber graduated from fashion school being the first student to make a digital fashion line as a graduation project. And working as a digital fashion designer wasn't easy after graduating either. Until the blockchain and NFTs started booming. Before blockchain and before NFTs, uh, we would just sell, we would give away files or we would sell files and people could still copy them a million times. You know, they could just like copy, copy, copy and send it to others. But now with the blockchain, what it really allows you to have is ownership over that item. So you are the owner over that item and nobody else is the owner. And that to me is what blockchain really entails is it is ownership over digital goods. And this is something that we could never have before this because you could just endlessly send, you know, if you have a picture of some Van Gogh painting, you can just send it to everyone. You know, and it's, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not like it's yours or theirs, whatever, you can just copy it. But now it's ownership that really counts and it's logged in the blockchain, which means that it's there forever and anybody can see and trace it back to the original owner and can see that it's yours right now. So it's creating this bedrock for interaction between all of these different worlds and also the fact that you don't, you no longer have to wait for your garment to be shipped to your door, but you can just immediately have it in your wallet. And that's the power of what um, cryptocurrency really allows for is uh, the almost immediate transaction of funds. The Fabricant sells all their garments as different NFTs. As Jesse explained, this means that it's completely traceable. And you, as an artist, can get the immediate financial compensation. That makes the digital fashion market incredibly easy and more accessible. And not only established digital fashion houses benefit from this technology. And our platform, what it allows you to do is basically co-create garments in real time across the world together with each other. So you would pick a garment that you like, pick a fabric that you like, pick the colors that you like and put those together. And the person who created the garment and the person who created the fabric and you all get an equal split of resources and that is all programmed into the smart contract so when your garment sells everybody will profit from that garment that worked on it and this is something completely revolutionary in terms of the traditional fashion industry because they're basically only the big designer name profits and nobody else who worked on it actually gets stuff down the line maybe they get a few pennies for the garment that they created but they're not credited for their work. And I think that's something that we really want to bring back in the industry is for people to be able to be credited and feel like they can create value and add value and create value for others. So if you fancy making your own digital garment, head off to the Fabricants platform and just get started. We'll hear more from Amber and the Fabricants' vision later on in the podcast when we talk about the digital self and the fluidity of gender. But I wanted to hear from another artist working within Web3. Ocean, or Sean Tyler Thomas Walton, is a multimedia artist who makes comics, videos, music, video games and more and combines it all into a big realm called Ocean World. This is Ocean. Yeah, it's like literally it's whatever. <laughs> it's because uh, for the most part, it's like the same with me. It's like 
I like the internet for like so many different reasons, whether it's like entertainment or music or like information or whatever. And I kind of want like Ocean World to almost mimic the same thing where it's like you come into like this construct and you can do anything you want. It's like you want to play video games, you can do that. You want to listen to music, you can do that. Like you want to read comics, you can do that. Like you want to, I don't know, you want to dress up and talk to people, you can. Like you can do pretty much anything you want inside this like whole bubble. And so it's just, yeah, I just tried to make a construct that is free and open for you to do whatever. In the next episode, we'll talk about Ocean's work exhibited at Next Museum. But now I wanted to talk about how to access Ocean World. For the most part, I put most of it on um, this website called VRChat. It's like a platform. You can use it. Um, you can use a VR headset, but you also can use desktop. It's way more fun on VR, though. I'll let you know. Um, but yeah, you can um, put on a VR headset or whatever. You can go around and you like log in. You can make your own character. Um, you can like get characters from other places, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's literally just like I put all the worlds up there and they all like kind of connect together in weird ways and have like just a bunch of like lore stuff in it and just like extra empty, like heavy stuff that I didn't put in like comics or mangas or shows or anything. So. so you can dive into the extremely colorful, playful and joyful ocean world just using your own computer. You can be a part of it and walk around in ocean world with an avatar, interacting with others, playing games ocean designed and listening to ocean's music. It's very similar to a metaverse. Ocean also actually worked with a metaverse-based company called Realm to create a virtual world. Yeah, so um, Realm is like this uh, metaverse space. They basically um, specialize in like creating like worlds that other people can create for themselves. And so um, it's been a concept for like a, a long time, but I guess now it's like becoming like a cooler thing because now you can uh, put like monetary value into it. And so um, beforehand, it would be like you pull up into like this 3D space, you can build a world, you can build your clothes, you can build like a whole avatar and stuff like that. And people would spend like basically like internet money to get those things or something if they didn't want to build it themselves. But now it's like getting to a point where with like NFTs and like crypto and stuff like that, you can now like sell it for real actual money and like make a living for it and so it's become like super popular and like now people are starting to actually build like those websites where you can do those things and stuff and realm is one of those people so they um built like yeah like they built like a whole construct and stuff like that and you can build like racetracks you can build like houses i believe now um and you can do like a bunch of crazy stuff um and they asked me if i like wanted to basically make my own like little pocket universe inside of their website now I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So yeah, we've just been collaborating on that pretty much for I think almost like a year now. Having played The Sims a lot when I was a kid, the idea of being able to build a house in the metaverse, creating my own avatar, but combining that with NFT art of actual value seems quite exciting, but also so surreal. Technology has like gotten us to the point where we're like, if we go back in the day or whatever, it almost seems like we're like these like pseudo wizards or whatever. It's like, you can do all these like cool things. Like we can like fly to the moon or like we can communicate with each other through like TV screens or like more so interesting is like how that will progress in the future almost. It's like we have all these cool technologies, but we always think ahead of like where it could possibly go. And it seems as if that question of where it could possibly go is also highly dependent on which technology is developed, but also which technology is embraced. The way like AR is going and like the way that like um, the physical and digital and like the NFT space is going or whatever, 
I want it to be like very, very like seamless to where like if you bought some clothes or like you hung out with some people or like you went and got coffee or like you did these things like they aren't like synonymous and like the point of I did this on the internet or like I did this in real life. It's like I want them to all coexist in the same thing. Like and it almost happens already like with like Apple Wallet or like the NFT thing or like the fact that like we're on Zoom right now or anything like that, like these, they're like merged like experiences between like digital and physical worlds and stuff like that. And I wanted to just like basically like better enhance it with like either AR or VR kind of thing. So yeah, I think that'd be really cool. The innovations in NFTs, the metaverse, blockchain and Web3 in general have shifted the way that artists work. The transactions of art and the realm in which art exists are more fluid and they float between the digital and the physical world. But these innovations are not without controversy. In fact, there's been a lot of discussion on the development of Web3 and the question of accessibility. But most importantly, on the environmental impact of the blockchain in general. But deep diving into these valid critiques would require a whole podcast series on their own. We'll talk some more about these critiques later on in the coming episodes, But if you want to know more, there is a lot of very good information available online. We gathered some sources in the description of this podcast if you're interested. Thank you for listening to the first episode of this second season of But Is It Art? Next time, we're transforming the podcast into a huge playground as we're covering the topic of playfulness. In the meantime, come and visit us. You can see all of the artworks that we're talking about in this podcast in the exhibition Unidentified Fluid Other. Hope to see you there. <laughs>